Hello and welcome to the BGS English Revision podcast. Um, I'm Miss Yemenakis and today I'm here with... Miss Whitehead. Um, and we are going to do a podcast for the drama paper uh, and this is for Journey's End. Um, and we're going to look at an extract from the very, very end of the play, um, the end of Act 3. Um, just a couple of reminders that there is a sheet that goes with this podcast and we really recommend... Um, that you download that and have a look at it. In fact, if I were you, I would pause the podcast now um, and get the sheet which takes you through um, the argument that we have for our essay um, and also highlights any key vocabulary and can be really helpful um, for you. Um, so um, we are going to um, start by reading the thesis statement. Um, but first of all, just looking at the question... Um, which is um, how does Sheriff make this such a powerfully touching moment in the play? And it is, as I said before, right right at the end of the play when um, Raleigh has been injured um, and Stanhope is sitting with him. Um, so, Miss Whitehead, if you'd like to read the thesis statement. So, the thesis statement, which obviously is your introduction, Begins, this extract at the end of Act 3 touchingly concludes the play with its emphasis on the death of the newest member of the company. This death is a direct result of the attack towards which the play has been building. Throughout the course of the play, Stanhope has been annoyed by Raleigh and has shown a lack of patience towards him. However, here we see a different side to their relationship with Stanhope, using Raleigh's first name, emphasising their friendship and thus showing how important he sees Raleigh to be. It is also interesting to note that Stanhope is still to join his men in the trenches, and the scene concludes with him being summoned to do so. This again reminds the audience of how he is almost paralysed by fear. And we were saying, actually, before the podcast um, started, we both taught this play in the past, and the ending really is moving, isn't it, actually? Um, I, I reread it for the first time in ages. So um, the first thing um, on our sheet, um, and we've divided, as we do with all podcast sheets, um, all of our essays really into kind of th- three paragraphs that are focusing on three different things and and, and given that you've only got 45 minutes in the exam that's a pretty good way to do it Um, and the first thing um, that we are focusing on is um, Stanhope's relationship with Raleigh which is clearly a really important one in the play um, isn't it? Yeah and as we know um, Raleigh hero worshipped Stanhope at school and tried to engineer getting into his company as well although Stanhope initially shows nothing but annoyance and intolerance towards him However, this is touchingly changes throughout, um, and we see Stanhope at the end being much more kind to him. Yeah, and I think we have got a podcast actually on um, one of those early um, extracts where um, Raleigh first appears and Stanhope sees him. Um, and it is, you know, if you get an extract from the end of the play, you can obviously sort of comment on how that relationship has changed, because here we do see Stanhope um, being much warmer um, and more tender towards Raleigh, don't we? Yeah. Um, whereas when he first appears, there's very much this sense that he's been confronted with lots of things that he doesn't really want to think about um, uh, at this point um, yeah. in the trenches. So. And here he really endeavours to comfort him as well. Um, he's very kind to him, he goes to get him things to make him more comfortable and there's a real kind of hush to this ending which makes it much more touching than perhaps anything we've seen between them before Yeah, and I think because often in this play you tend to get pairings of people don't you, in dialogues and in a way it's almost as though Stanhope becomes a little bit more like Osborne is, you know, the sort of uncle figure kind of looking after yeah. the younger recruits, whereas he wasn't at all at the beginning, so I think you're right, he is, he is sort of 
you know, doing small kind of domestic, although I know they're in a dugout, um, things for him. Um, and I think the other thing is that obviously um, it's clear that Stanhope realises how serious this injury is. And I yeah. think Raleigh doesn't um, really realise. No, because so. Stanhope euphemistically states that something is holding them down. Yeah. Not there, you know, thereby not telling Raleigh the truth. Yeah, and I think that's quite poignant. And also, you know, here's Raleigh on, on the verge of death, essentially. <clears throat> and if you look at the um, kind of language he's using, it's, it's kind of... It belies that, really, doesn't it? It's awfully decent of you. I feel rotten lying here. Whereas, actually, he's sort of on the edge of death, so that sense of kind of stiff upper lip and understatement. Yeah. But it's also a reminder of the hierarchy, isn't it, as well? Yes. The hierarchy in school. Absolutely. And also, you know, time is another important thing um, in the play because it happens in a very, very short and intense period of time, although it feels like a lot longer in the, in the kind of build-up to the um, great push. So, you know, poor old Raleigh has, has been here, you know, a matter of days. Yeah. Um, and, and his life is over um, already. One of the most moving things, I think, of the, the relationship be- between them is the way San- Stanhope calls him by his name. He yeah. says, it's quite all right, Jimmy, which just would never be done. Yeah. Apart from in these final minutes of them being together. Absolutely. And I think it's an acknowledgement, isn't it? There's a kind of crossover, isn't there? I think the reason yeah. Stanhope's so upset at the beginning is he doesn't want, he doesn't want real life or his past um, or his relationship with Raleigh's sister to kind of cross over into the hideousness of life on the front line. But here he sort of drops that facade, doesn't he, yeah. by calling him by his first name. Um, which perhaps also this is the first time we see, really see Stanhope being who Stanhope is yes. and can be. Yes. Because he masks that so much by the alcohol. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the parallels in this play is, that, you know, in a way you could argue that, that Raleigh... The reason Stanhope can't cope with Raleigh's appearance is, is Raleigh reminds himself of what he was like at the beginning of the yeah. war. And, and here we're getting a glimpse of the kind of softer side of Stanhope before he was um, brutalised um, by the war. So I agree, I think that naming thing um, is, is really important and really significant. He also shows his humanity as well and kindness and he takes um, Jimmy's hand, as he's now calling him, gently takes his hand and stares listlessly at the boy. Um, really showing us his empathy with what's happened here. Yeah, and also that suggestion that, you know, for Stanhope, this is something he's had to... Um, I mean, it's slightly different this time, obviously, because of his past relationship with the Raleigh, but we know that he will have seen, you know, many young men come through mm. the trenches um, who have died within a matter of days of arriving. Um, perhaps we should move on to the, the second point, which um, here we've chosen to focus on the futility of the war, which is really the reason why Sheriff, who himself fought in the First World War, chose to write this play. He yeah. wanted people to be aware of that. Um, and right from the very beginning, we're shown them waiting for this big attack. Mm. And now suddenly it proves to be catastrophic, as we knew, and futile and chaotic, which makes this scene even more touching because we realise the wastefulness of war and the lack of meaning behind this death. Yeah, and it's been, I mean, that, that waiting that you talk about, I mean, I think one of um, Sheriff's alternate titles was Suspense, and another one, I can't remember the exact one, was something to do with waiting, because most of the time in the play, we're not really seeing the war, are we? We're seeing the kind of impact of it and waiting for something yeah. to happen. And now, you know, we've, and by this stage in the play, obviously Osborne has already died, um, and now at the end of the play, we've lost um, Raleigh too. We also see from the stage directions, and it's really important that you do acknowledge the stage directions and use them in some way in your answers. Mm. Um, we see the strain on Stanhope, the lines on his pale, drawn face and the dark shadows under his tired eyes. And he is also still a young man, ill-equipped to deal with the traumas of this war. 
Um, and he's described at the beginning as walking stiffly, and his dependence on alcohol too also shows that. And here he's described as going stiffly up the steps of the dugout. Yeah, his I whole demeanour. You're right, him. isn't it? It's like a premature aging, isn't it? Because yeah. the number of years that he's been in the trenches have, you know, he's seen and, and heard things that nobody um, should ever see. And the point about the stage directions is a really important one. You know, this is. Um, this is a play that has a lot of stage directions, um, particularly in this extract towards mm -hmm. the end. But if you get an extract with a stage direction at the beginning or the end, particularly, and we'll come on in the next point to talk about this, ones to do with kind of light or the time of day yeah. that you can see. Because we never, ever come outside the dugout, do we? Everything is interior um, mm -hmm. and claustrophobic. Um, and so the stage directions um, are really important. So... Um, I mean, yeah, the Raleigh is who, who Stanhope might have been if he'd died at that point, but his survival means that he has almost turned into, into an old man, hasn't he? Yeah, we also get in the stage direction that there's a hush at this point as well in the noise outside, and whether that's just internal in Stanhope's mind, but there's a real kind of reverence for this death um, at the end, which is described through the directions. And, uh, and also, if, you know, outside the sounds that are coming in from outside are the sounds of war, you've got the fevered spatter of rifle fire, um, you've got the shelling rising to a great fury, so the volume of noise outside is... But you're right, that it kind of juxtaposes, doesn't it, mm. the kind of hush and the moment of stillness inside that, that Stanhope is yeah. taking this time, actually, to, um, to comfort Raleigh in his last moments and to, to be with him which feels like a kind of moments of stillness in the chaos, which he's about to go back out into as yeah. well. And we've got that line, the fevered spatter of rifle fire, that metaphor conveying not so much a journey's end as a continuation of the never-ending cycle, which we get right to the beginning, where um, Hardy is um, singing and tapping time with his foot, time introduced in that song, as a motif that continues and the repetitive nature of this cycle being endorsed. Yes. And even <coughs> if individual characters like Osborne and Raleigh die, the, the cycle of death yeah. and well, the war is still continuing, them, isn't, it? isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the, I mean, if we continue here, because the stage directions um, uh, make up such a significant proportion of this extract, um, because it's the very, very end of the play, um, we have actually had put a separate um, paragraph, the third paragraph, focusing um, on the stage directions um, here. Um, and as we said earlier, it absolutely is worth commenting on them. So if you can see a sort of development, um, earlier on in the play there are other references of the kind of dawn light, aren't there, coming mm -hmm. through. So the light and the colour of the light is a motif that kind of tracks the whole way through the play. Yeah. So it's definitely... And it, you do remember with um, Journey's End, you will have... Um, your copy of the play in the exam with you um, so it's a really good idea to make sure at the beginning if you're going for the passage based question which I suspect most of you will be to make sure that you open your copy of the play at the point where the extract is and it means that if you did want to find another stage direction that um, uh, shows something that happened earlier that connects this one you can flick back and find it and that would be a really useful thing to do and here um, in relation to the light um Sheriff is not very subtle. We've got the faint rosy glow of the dawn is deepening to an ang angry red, yeah. foreshadowing what's about to happen with the grey night sky as well dissolving. And the stars begin to go in as if shielding themselves from the horrors below. And you've got, as well as the natural light from outside, and you've got the imagery of the candle as well um, that runs throughout this extract um, where he's holding the candle 
um, as light. But he and goes that, to get a candle, doesn't yes, he? To he does. kind of cheer yeah. Jimmy up in his last few minutes. And that, I think, you know, could definitely be taken as um, a metaphor um, for the kind of um, brevity, um, briefness, and the fragility yeah. of life, really. Because as out, Yes. <laughs> I don't know they did that poem, so I haven't got that reference. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think, it, I think it's just a way of showing us how fragile the soldiers' lives are. In this case, Raleigh's life, which is about to be snuffed out. We've also um, got some like auditory image, imagery as well. As we've got Raleigh is lying somewhere between a sob and a moan, um, comes out in this tiny sound. Um, and also we're told that um, Stanhope speaks cheerfully, trying to jolly him along, even yeah. though he knows... So the undercurrent there that he knows he's near the end. And I mean, in, in, you can see that, you know, the stage directions almost take over because, because yeah. Raleigh can no longer speak. So in the final sections of that um, extract, Raleigh's speech kind of becomes fragmented, doesn't it? It becomes yeah, quite yeah. hard for him even to get the words out. You know, there's a bit where it says, you know, so damn silly getting hit. Is there just a drop of water? And there are the dashes in between there yeah. that show how he's struggling to even get the words out. And bringing that back to the question, we haven't really seen this side of Stanhope before, so that makes it all the more touching. Yeah. Because he masks everything. Um, and then when Raleigh first arrives, of course, he's very angry with him. But here we see this tenderness touchingly conveyed. Yeah. And there's also the kind of... The poignancy, you know, you know, Raleigh basically saying to Stan up, you know, you can, he says, can you stay for a bit? And Stan up says, of course I can, but before that he says, don't wait if you want to be getting on. Mm. Um, so there's that sense that he doesn't want to keep him from going and fighting, but he actually, he doesn't want to be alone either. And Stan up responds to that. He doesn't reject that, which based on his behaviour early on in the play is yeah. a change, isn't it? And then the stage directions brings us back to the action where the private soldier comes scrambling down mm. the steps, his round red face wet with perspiration, his chest heaving for breath. And Stanhope kind of gazes at him but doesn't see him. Um, and he has to repeat himself. And then Stanhope rises stiffly and takes his helmet from the table. It's almost as though he's on autopilot. He's, yeah. We see him so stunned by what's happened. And probably grieving for ostensibly somebody who is, represents his past and the life he had and can't have. Absolutely. And the soldier at the end, it kind of represents the outside world kind of coming into yeah. that kind of poignant moment of hush and farewell. Um, and the dugout on your right stand-up can't really um, engage with that. Um, and actually, if you look at after the beginning of those stage directions where it says the soldier turns and goes away, it says stand-up pauses for a moment by Osborne's bed um, which again is reminding us that that's the bed that Osborne mm. used to occupy and Osborne's gone. It says, lightly runs his finger over Raleigh's tousled hair. And that's a, a really moving gesture. It's the kind of thing you might do to a lover or a child or somebody. Mm. And it's like his moment of farewell. And that, again, that's, that's really quite, you know, different, isn't it, to the way yeah. stand-up was at the beginning. And the stage direction is again very useful because we can see how the pain is manifested in his bodily movements because it's repeated twice that he rises stiffly and takes his helmet, and then he goes stiffly up the steps, yeah. his tall figure black against the dawn sky, and the shelling has risen to a great fury, emphasising what he is walking into there. But him seemingly not in the right zone um, to go out above the trenches. 
And we, because we only ever hear about Raleigh as a great soldier as well, don't I mean, right, sorry, Stanley. Stanley, although we know that he is from everything that we're told, mm. so we only see that side of him. The candle image appears again here, again, perhaps not particularly subtle, but definitely worth noticing, yeah. right? Uh, initially it says the solitary candle burns with a steady flame and Raleigh lies in the shadows, and then after the um, shriek of the shell, it says um, the shock stabs out the candle flame, so that's clearly a metaphor for Riley's death and for yeah. the death of all the soldiers as well. And then we are left with the horrid noise at the end of the rifle fire, fever spattered of yeah. rifle fire and the machine guns. And that's what concludes this scene. Yeah. So we, we are almost left where we began with the noise of what's going on outside and Stanhope walking into that. Absolutely. And the last, I mean, the last, if you were watching it in the theatre, obviously the last thing you would hear is Stanhope saying to the soldier, all right, Broughton, I'm coming, which again is a very kind of, yeah. in a sense, very non-dramatic line, but we know, you know, the stage direction says what that really means, yeah. that he's walking into the jaws of death yet again, something that he's been doing now for years and years and years. So, so the, the cycle of, you know, waiting and hope and death that yeah. we've seen during the course of the play... You know, it might be, this might be the occasion in which Stanhope dies, but it might be that he has to go back and start this all over again. And on the Audible, which we're listening to, you very much hear this cacophony at the end and this excruciating noise of the shells. And so it's really brought home how catastrophic this invasion is. Yeah, and it's always worth kind of commenting on the kind of interior versus exterior, because again, um, I know that's not the case in the film, so you do need to be clear about that. We never ever leave the dugout in the play version, so any sounds or little snippets of light or anything that we see from outside or a character coming from the outside into the dugout kind of shifts and changes the, um, um, the kind of mood, doesn't it, as it yeah. does here. Um, so, conclusion for this... You need to come back to the question, yeah. actually, and it is very touching because it's the death of innocence. Um, Stanhope's innocence, arguably, is already gone, but it's a reminder of how innocent Stanhope once was. And, of course, the death of youth is in, in Raleigh mm. and the hopelessness of the situation. Yeah, and I mean, Raleigh is just a, 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 you know, a representation of the you know, many thousands of officers. I mean, I... I keep meaning to look this up and I haven't, but the life expectancy of an officer, a young officer in the front line, and some of them would have been not much older than you, some of them no. would have been 18, um, was incredibly low. Um, and if you made it through a certain number of weeks, you were more likely to survive then. So Raleigh is just one of, you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. um, of young men. You know, if you go up to the Great Hall um, at BGS and look mm. at the board, you will see the names of... Um, you know, um, young men who died there. So it is, you know, it's worth remembering the historical context that this is, yes, it's fictional, but it's based on things that yeah, Sheriff absolutely. saw and suffered himself. And, and we might have expected some resolution as in the normal course of the play, mm. a play you perhaps expected to be hopeful at the end or to be resolved in some way, but we're merely back where we started at the end in this never ending cycle of death and war. Yeah, and this is, I think the other reason here, as we said earlier, that this is so touching and so moving is that it, it is one of the <coughs> times where we do actually see stand-up grieving because after the death of Osborne, yeah. which we know he's absolutely shattered by, but if you remember Raleigh um, can't understand because he thinks nobody's reacting to Osborne's death. Yeah, it's yeah, the fact they that just they just have it, to carry on, they have to cover it because they, 
they if they start actually allowing themselves to have the feelings yeah. rather than just making jokes about you know there's one slight intimation there isn't there because I think is it Riley goes to sit on Osborne's bed and gets shouted yes. at by Stanhope and so there's a slight crack where he gives himself away yeah <clears throat> but then he pulls it back again and hides and it's interesting that he ends up on Osborne's bed as well yes. that's mentioned here in the yeah, stage absolutely. direction yeah. that so, makes it more touching so that is significant um, uh, and I think that's all we've got time for now so thank you very much thank you